0: Turn in your Bible, if you will, this morning to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to really ask an odd question. Have you ever heard of the disease of scurvy? Uh, It's not a common disease today. It's not a dreaded disease. It's easily treatable. But before the 18th century, scurvy was something that was feared uh, almost universally, especially uh, among sailors, uh, people who were... Uh, voyaging across the great sea, across the ocean, their greatest obstacle on those journeys, uh, may surprise you, was not the weather, it was not navigation, it was not the ship, as difficult as those things could be, but the greatest obstacle they faced was scurvy. In fact, I looked up some of the great sea voyages through history uh, just to see how scurvy played a role. Uh, The Vasco da Gama voyage to India, 1499, Uh, One of the noted sea journeys in history. Two-thirds of the sailors were dead when they arrived in Italy because, I'm sorry, in India because of scurvy. Two-thirds of the sailors just made it one way or didn't make it one way. Uh, Magellan's 1520 crossing of the Pacific, 80% of all the people on the ships died of scurvy. Uh, Commodore George Anson, 1740s, that military, um, uh, six ships, 2,000 soldiers, he lost 1,300 of the 2,000 men to scurvy. Even the Mayflower, we're familiar with that. Uh, Experts tell us, historians tell us that one third of the people on the Mayflower that came to America died of scurvy either on the ship or shortly after landing. Scurvy is what they feared. And, and, and scurvy was, it was a terrible disease to get in those days. You would uh, start with lethargy. You would just be exhausted. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't function. And then you would just really begin to rot. Uh, your gums would get soft. Your skin would bleed. And I, I don't have any medical expertise, but just reading the description, it sounds like you just rot while you're alive until you die. And these these sailors, these strong men of old who would sail across the ocean, many of them, sometimes the majority of them on these voyages, would die from scurvy. Now, they didn't understand all the things that we understand about it today. It turns out you have scurvy because you have a vitamin C deficiency. Now, they wouldn't have known what vitamin C was back then, but they did learn this, that as little as one slice of orange a day for seven days would cure what was otherwise a fatal case of the scurry, of scurry, I guess you'd say. And, and so here, here's what it turned out. Something that seemed very insignificant to them, e- eating fruit once a week or so, something that seemed very insignificant to them turned out to be the one thing that would wipe out these voyages, that would kill thousands of people, all because they didn't have a slice of orange. Can you imagine? So when I think of that, I wonder, is there a spiritual uh, equivalent to that? Is there something in our spiritual lives that we think is really insignificant, something that we overlook, something we don't think is too important, but it turns out it is extremely important. It turns out that we suffer all kinds of spiritual maladies, emotional, mental, uh, relationship problems, we suffer these difficulties because of something that we just sort of overlook. Because we didn't think it was very important. In the 1600s, they didn't think eating an orange on a boat was important. We don't think the Sabbath is important. But I want us to see this morning that God has given us the Sabbath. We're going to see what that means. It's, it's, it's likely not what you think. But God has given us the Sabbath, and He tells us that it is this critical piece of walking the Christian life. It is, it is a critical piece to what it means to live out the Christian life, and it be, may be making an, an, an incredible difference in our lives. So let's let's see what scripture says. Mark chapter two, we're in a series where we're just learning a little bit more about Jesus every week, who is Jesus. And in Mark chapter two, we're gonna see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. But let's start in verse 23 and, and follow this story. It says, on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. And the, and the Pharisees said to him, said to Jesus, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So Jesus is walking with his disciples through some grain fields. It's Saturday with the Sabbath day and he's picking some snacks as he's walking along the way. And the Pharisees, some religious leaders come along and they say he is breaking a Sabbath law. So there's this controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees, and if you know the Gospels very well, you know that this is a controversy that's repeated over and over and over. Jesus and the Pharisees often have different understandings of the Sabbath. Now, the whole idea of the Sabbath has been controversial from the very beginning. We're going to walk through a history of it in just a moment, and you're going to see that from the very beginning of the institution of the Sabbath, people were messing it up. And then we could fast forward all the way to the modern blue laws. you know what those are? The laws here in America about what stores can open on Sunday and what stores can't open on Sunday. All the way through history, this has been a controversy. But it's not a controversy because the Bible is unclear. It's a controversy because we don't really understand, we haven't studied carefully what the Bible says. So let's continue to read. He says in verse 25, he said to them, so Jesus replies, have you ever read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? And so he's going to tell a story about something that happened many years earlier. Uh, It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, when David, King David, well, really before he was king, when he and some of his men found themselves hungry and the only bread that was available for them to eat was bread that they were forbidden to eat. So he tells the story in verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. Now, the significance of that, we won't spend much time on that, is that God's instructions, Jesus is letting them know that God's instructions were not given to rob us of life, but God's instructions were given to Bless us with life. And you see that in the first Samuel 21 account. But let's focus on the next two verses. Because here Jesus is going to give two statements, really, really important statements that we need to know and understand. Verse 27. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So did you see those two statements? The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's number one. And that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Those are very important statements. So let's start with the first one and let's learn a little bit about the Sabbath. And then we'll hit the second one before we conclude the message. What does it mean that the Sabbath was made for man? Now, when... We think about the Sabbath, and you've heard that before, I'm sure. When we think about the Sabbath, ordinarily we think about limitations. How are we limited? What can't I do? When we think about the Sabbath, we think, well, that means I can't uh, mow my lawn on Sunday. That means I can't go to work on Sunday. That means I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this other thing. And, And so we think of the Sabbath, the whole Sabbath principle, in terms of how it limits us. But what he says here is, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not something to limit us. The Sabbath is a way that God blesses us. So exactly how does God bless us with the Sabbath? Well, let's let's do a little Bible study. Uh, We're going to start at the beginning. I'll I'll go fast with this. But I want to just walk through the Bible and show you the development of the Sabbath through A number of different references. And then I think we'll be able to clearly understand how it's important to us today. So the first, and you don't have to look all of these up. I'm going to read them to you. The first reference is in Genesis chapter 2. This is the creation of the world. And the world, Jesus, I'm sorry, the Father has finished creating the world. And here's what it says. Genesis 2.2. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now, the word Sabbath doesn't appear in the English translation there, although it is in the Hebrew. The word Sabbath, by the way, just means seventh. So anytime you see the word seventh in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew it says Sabbath. But but there what we see Is the beginning of this this principle The Bible says that God worked six days to create the world And then he rested Why did he rest? He wasn't tired, wasn't exhausted Didn't need a breather He rested in order to introduce this cycle You work six days, you rest one You work six days, you rest one And God built that into creation And he built it into those created in his image That's me and that's you and so we see here the pattern, right in the beginning of the Bible, God worked seven days and rested one, worked set, or worked six days and rested one. Now, let me take you to the next reference to the, to the Sabbath. And, and this is a little longer passage, but hang with me. In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were hungry. So God miraculously fed them By sending them manna from heaven, bread from heaven, it would fall down from the sky. But God told them, just go out and harvest, just go out and collect this bread for six days and trust me that it will be enough for seven. Well, guess what? They didn't trust God. So let me read the passage to you. Exodus 16, 27 says, yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather But they did not find any. They didn't find any manna. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days worth of bread. And each of you should stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. Now here we see an, an issue of trust. God said, I'm going to give you enough bread in six days that you can trust me on the seventh day. You can go out and collect this bread for six days, but on the seventh day, I want you to trust me. The whole issue of the Sabbath is an issue of trust. The Sabbath is the way that we say to God, I trust you. When we take a day off, we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust that the work I'm able to do in six days, that you can stretch that to seven. I trust you that the input of six days will be sufficient for seven days. It is an issue of trust. Do we trust God to provide for us or do we just trust ourselves? If we trust ourselves, then it's it's 24-7. But if we trust God, then this principle is a way we live that out. We work six, and then we trust God on day seven. Now, this is not just something that's taught through the Sabbath in the Old Testament, but we see it in the New Testament. Listen to how Jesus said the same thing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said, don't worry, saying what we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, when he says the Gentiles seek them, he's talking about lost people. He said, don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off, worrying about how you're going to take care of this and how you're going to take care of that, and oh no, the sky is falling. No, that's how unbelievers live. We have a father in heaven who knows what our needs are. Let's don't live like the unbelievers. Let's live like people who really trust in God. And then he says this in the next verse. So seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Chase after God. And all of these things will be provided for you. See, the the Sabbath is an issue of trust. Do we really trust God? That God will provide. People say, "Well, I've got to work on the Sabbath because I'm just I'm just too busy. There are just too many things to do." No, we just don't trust the Lord to provide for us if we input six and trust Him for seven. Uh, It's an issue of trust. Now, I I just want to give you an illustration here that doesn't exactly fit, but um, I I want to give it to you, and I'm the preacher, so I get to choose. uh, many of you, how many of you like the restaurant Chick-fil-A? Some of you, uh, rest of you just lying, everybody likes Chick-fil-A. That's what they serve in heaven, so you need to get used to it. Uh, one of the Chick-fil-A managers, member here, this is not an advertisement, but I, I, I do want um, uh, but, to, but I, I do want to tell you a little bit about Chick-fil-A. So as you know, they're closed on Sunday, right? So experts say, that they lose corporately $100 million a year uh, in revenue, not in sales, in revenue because they close on Sunday. Did you know that this last year at the Super Bowl in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, there are a whole bunch of Chick-fil-A restaurants in the stadium? What day is the Super Bowl? Sunday. Sunday. They closed the Chick fil A's. I mean, they're only open one day a week, right? They closed them on Sunday for the Super Bowl. So it, it seems like a crazy way to operate a business. Yet, in 2017, I found these figures this week the average Chick fil A location uh, nets $4 million in sales per restaurant open limited hours for six days the closest competitor is McDonald's they only average 2.6 million dollars per restaurant open 24 hours a day 7 days a week now listen we don't need a business to prove to us that the Bible is reliable but isn't it interesting to see how the biblical principles often play themselves out in every part of life And so this issue of the Sabbath, this principle of the Sabbath is a trust issue. Can we trust God to provide for us seven days if we only work six? Now let me take you to the next verse, Exodus 20 verse 8. That's the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath and, uh, uh, and remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then the next one. We'll come back to that one in a moment. Exodus 31, I want to mention that, verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. The Lord said, tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. He says it's a sign. The Sabbath is a sign. What does it mean that it's a sign? Well, a sign is something that indicates something. It indicates two things. First of all, it is a sign Godward. It is a sign in my life that I trust the Lord. When I take a day off, even though I've got a long list of things that I think I have to do or life's going to end, but when I take a day off and I trust the Lord, that is a Godward sign in my life, God, I trust you. It is also a sign to other people. It is a sign to the whole world that, hey, we're peculiar people. We don't run around like we're crazy. We don't chase everything that there is to chase in life. When it comes right down to it, we trust the Lord. So it's a sign. And then that brings us back to what we read, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is a gift that God has given to us. It is a spiritual vitamin C to keep us from getting these spiritual maladies, to keep us from, from, from suffering from exhaustion and fatigue spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and relationally. It is a gift to us. The Sabbath was made for man. So if that's the case, how do we embrace it? If, if the Sabbath is such a valuable gift, how do we make it a part of our lives? Let me share. Number one, we need to make a plan. The first way to embrace the Sabbath is to make a plan. Now, let me give you a warning. You don't need to make a plan for somebody else. You need to make a plan for you. That's one of the problems with the Sabbath and how it's been practiced through the years is that people often are more interested in what their neighbor is doing than they are interested in what they are doing. Uh, You should never hold your Sabbath practice over the head of somebody else. You should never look down upon somebody because they don't practice the Sabbath like you've chosen to practice the Sabbath. You make a plan for you. In fact, the Bible says Colossians 2:16 it warns us, don't let anybody judge you for your Sabbath practices. This isn't something that we need to use as a measuring stick for others. This is something this is a gift we need to embrace personally. So this is not about I've got a list of rules that you need to follow for the Sabbath. Or you have a list of rules that I need to follow for the Sabbath. This is about I need to make a plan for me and you need to make a plan for you. Now, why should we make a plan? Well, in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, when we have the command, it says, remember the Sabbath. It, it, it says to focus on it, remember it, ponder it, plan it. With all of the pressures in our lives, if you don't have a plan, you won't do this. You know the difference between Christians who honor the Sabbath and Christians who don't? The ones who honor the Sabbath are the ones who've sat down and made a plan. Here's, Here's what it means in our family. Here are some things we're gonna do. Here are some things we're not gonna do. Here are some fences we've built around the day. The people who make a plan do it. The people who just say that sounds pretty good, they don't ever do it, why? Because life's busy. Right? Somebody's going to call you. There's going to be something else to do. There's going to be uh, s- s- something to do at work and something to do at home. And there's going to be so many pressures. The Sabbath never gets honored accidentally. You have to make a plan. Number two, if we're going to embrace the Sabbath, we must make the plan. Number two, we must trust the Lord. And let me give you a really profound biblical instruction. Chill out. Okay? If, if we can take all the Sabbath teaching in the Bible... And we could just condense it to two words. I think those would be the best two words. You need to chill out. Now, we in America, and, and, and I, I struggle with this. We in America, and there's some good to this thinking, we often think that the harder you work, the, the more successful you're going to be, right? The harder you work, the happier you'll be. The harder you work, the more peace you'll have. The harder you work... Uh, the more fulfillment that you have. And, and I, I, you know, I have to be careful with that. That's, the, that's probably the lens through which I view life. I, it is hard for me. I struggle that I ordinarily evaluate the worth of a man by what time he gets up in the morning and how hard he works. That's just the way I was taught to live. But listen, I have learned from, from life and from scripture through the years that that's not exactly how things work that we do need to work hard and we do need to be committed. It does say work six days. I mean, you can't have seven Sabbaths, but we've got to understand that it's God who provides for us. If you're going to have a happy family, it's God who works in that. If you're going to have peace, if you're going to have purpose, if you're going to have fulfillment, if you're going to have success, you need God to come alongside you and bless you. What we need to learn to do is to trust God. That it is God who raises people up. It is God who blesses people. And we need to quit thinking that everything is up to us. Now listen how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, listen to how he said it. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays Alert, in vain. He says, you can work hard to build a house, but unless the Lord blesses you, it's not the house you need it to be. You, you can you can try to protect the city, you can try to protect the family, whatever, but unless the Lord intervenes, the city is not protected. And then he says in the next verse, in vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, it is God. He gives sleep to the one he loves. We need to recognize that we should trust God to provide. That's the whole Sabbath principle. Work really hard for six days, but then sit back and have the attitude, it ultimately is God that connects everything together. And everything good in life comes from him anyway. I trust the Lord. Now people will say, well, if I don't work through the weekend, I I won't be able to get ahead. If I don't work through the weekend, I won't be able to keep my job. If I don't get the lawn cut on Sunday, you know, what are the neighbors going to say? Uh, if my kid doesn't play on the weekend tribal baseball team, he might not play for the Astros in a few years. I mean, we, we think that everything depends on that little bit extra that we do. No, listen, as Christians, we've got to sit back and say, there are things I need to do. But I'm going to take one day a week, and I'm going to honor the Lord by just trusting him. If the Lord doesn't build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Let's trust the Lord. Now, the third thing we need to do if we're going to embrace the Sabbath is we should worship the Lord. Now, the Sabbath was Saturday. In the Old Testament, Sabbath, Saturday, the seventh day. Uh, But something interesting happened when the church was formed in the New Testament. Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, right? Right? Now, Sunday, you may not realize this, it was just another day of the week. It was, it was our Monday. It was, in fact, the first day of the week. And so what did people do on Sunday mornings? They got up and went to work. They were off on Saturday. They went to work on Sunday. But the resurrection was such a big deal to the, to the Christians. They said, we can't go to work on Sunday. We're going to move our worship day from Saturday to Sunday. That was a big deal. Imagine if we decided to move our worship day from Sunday to Monday. What would happen if you said, well, I'm just going to start coming to church every Monday? What would your boss say? Hey, listen, I'm going to start Monday's church day now. Sorry. now listen, you wouldn't have a job anymore. Man, it would be a radical change. But that's the kind of change they did. They moved it from Saturday to Sunday uh, to the first day of the week. And so their Sabbath practice went from Saturday to Sunday. And from that point forward, the Christian Sabbath practice has always involved worship. And so how do we honor God with the Sabbath? How do we embrace the Sabbath? We start with worship, just what you're doing this morning. We worship the Lord. There's no substitute for worship. Did you know that? I I think more and more Christians in America struggle with this. I think we struggle with this here. You look at the statistics across America and people who go to church are going to church less and less often every week. You know, used to to be active in church uh, 15 years ago meant that you were here four Sundays a month. Now to be active in church means you're here three Sundays in two months. And, and, and you, just this trend is going... It's just going crazy because we're letting things substitute for worship. We say, well, I I read my Bible, and I love Jesus, and I'm faithful to give, and and, and I I serve, and I go on a mission trip every once in a while. So so worship on Sunday, I will do it if it's convenient, but if there's something else, I won't do it. But that's not honoring the Sabbath. To honor the Sabbath means I take one day a week, and worship is the most important thing that happens that day. I'll tell you another way to look at this, and I struggle with this some. You know, we advertise, uh, not advertise, but we put out there a little bit uh, what we're going to preach on, what I'm going to preach on the next week. We put it out this week, and tomorrow morning, I've got next week's sermon uh, re- ready to go, just about. And so we'll put it out next week. We're going to talk about the fear of God and how that connects with uh, how, to, how to live the Christian life. So we, we, we put out to you what we're going to preach on. Now, that's okay, and I do that because I want to do it. Nobody's told me to do that. But there's a negative to that. I'm afraid sometimes people look at that and they say, well, you know, that's something I need, so I'm going to go to church. But other people look at it and say, well, you know, I don't know if that's really a topic that interests me, so I'm not going to go. And we base our attendance on whether or not we think it will help us. Listen, church, you don't come to worship God because it helps you. Now, I hope it helps you. I hope it helps you a lot. I hope you enjoy the music and the fellowship and all that kind of stuff. But if if none of that was true, we ought to still come and worship because God is worthy of worship. We we, we come and worship because of who he is, not because we, we benefit from it. If we announce to you that over the next four weeks we weren't Austin going to sing any songs we were just going to come in here and we were going to read the book of Leviticus backwards. okay? You should still have the same heart to come and worship because this is the way you come and honor God. If we're going to embrace the Sabbath that means you start with worship on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning. Now uh, number four, how do we embrace the Sabbath? We reap the rewards. Uh, let me, as I prepared this message, I read about the Sabbath just you know, from beginning to end in the Bible. And I, I came across some very interesting um, passages. So, so one of those was in Isaiah 58. This is a longer passage, but I, I want you to listen. I think you'll find this interesting. Isaiah 58, 13 says, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath... From doing whatever you want to on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways and seeking your own pleasure or talking business, and so if you honor the Sabbath, He's gonna give us a promise. We're gonna see it in the next verse. Now, the promise is not directly to us, it was to these uh, Israelites, but we see here the heart of God. What does God promise to do for the Israelites if they honor the Sabbath? What's God gonna do? Listen then you will delight in the Lord. I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father, Jacob. I will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, basically. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God has a heart that's looking for for followers who trust him enough to give them one day out of seven, to say, you know, one day I'm just gonna trust you. And God God's desire is to bless those people who trust him that much. And he did it in the Old Testament, and he does it for us. Now, what would happen if we consistently honored the Sabbath? Let me me give you some possibilities. First of all, I think we would have increased spiritual vitality and strength. So many times people are just suffering spiritual scurvy. I mean, we're weak, and our gums are soft, and our bodies You know, spiritually we're wasting away. How can we be spiritually strong? How can we have wisdom and not folly? How can we have trust instead of worry? How can we overcome temptation? Well, I think the strength comes from embracing the Sabbath and then God seeing our trust and honoring that in our lives. Number two, I think it it leads to improved mental and emotional health. Uh, why does it seem that mental and emotional uh, difficulties are so much more common today amongst Christians than they were a generation ago? Well, you know there are a lot of reasons why people have mental and emotional problems, and I'm not trying to put everything in the same category, but could it be that part of the problem is we just need to honor the Sabbath, that we just need to have this rest so that God can do a restorative work in our in our lives, in our spirit, our emotions. Years ago, before modern fertilizers, farmers, and they still do this today in some ways, they they would plant their field for six years, and then what would they do on year seven? They would let their field lie fallow. They wouldn't plant it. Now, why would a farmer give up his land one year out of seven or part of this land this year and part of this land that year. I mean, the farmer needed to get his, he needed to maximize his harvest. So why would you not plant on part of your land? Well, because the farmers learned that if you let the field rest one year out of seven, it will produce a greater harvest in six years than it would have produced in seven years had you used every year. Isn't that amazing? But now think about that. If if dirt needs to rest, you need to rest, right? I mean, if taking a a year off will restore the dirt, how much more would it restore our souls? People created in the image of God, the God who rested on the seventh day. You know, a lot of us, uh, this whole idea of the Sabbath is... uh, I mean, we're just not interested, you know, because I'm a, I'm a man, and I work hard, and I don't, I don't need to rest. But, you know, God rested. God set the cycle. It's not about being a man. It's not about being strong. It's about trusting the Lord. One of the benefits would be improved mental and emotional health. Number three, the strengthening of the family. You know, families struggling today. What if there were one day out of seven? That mom and dad and grandma and granddad just spent some time together, uninterrupted, best way you can find, husbands and wives, there wasn't a million things to do other than just sit with one another, do some activities together, how much stronger would our families be? Improved Christian witness. Uh, The the Bible says that that our practice of the Sabbath ought to say something to the people around us. everybody you know at work is stressed out. What if you were the one person that one day out of seven, you could just sit back with perfect peace? You think somebody would notice that? It's because you trust the Lord. And it would help you set your focus on heaven. The Bible says, and we don't have time to go through the details, but in Hebrews chapter four, that when we practice the Sabbath here, it helps us to anticipate the ultimate Sabbath, which is eternity in heaven. And that changes our heart. How do we need to honor the Sabbath? Well, finally, we just need to reap the benefits. Reap the benefits. But I, I do want to point out one more passage to you. Back in Exodus thirty-one, we read this a moment ago, but this is the part that everybody leaves out when they preach it. But I, I want you to see it because I think there's, I think there's a very important lesson. So Exodus thirty-one, verse fourteen. Now, this is Old Testament, and this is about the Saturday Sabbath and the, and the ceremonial regulations, and, and you've got to remember that. But listen to it. It still says what it says. Verse 14. I think we have this. Yes, we do. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it, what does it say? Must be put to death. If anyone does not work on it, that person will be cut off from his people. Uh, work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath must be put to death. Now, why, why, why don't people preach on that? <laughs> well, first of all, that's, that doesn't apply to us in the, in the strictest sense. And this is the ceremonial regulation with the, with the Sabbath in Israel. But why? I mean, God still said this. Why would God, the God of heaven, the God who loves us, the God who sent Jesus to forgive our sins, why would God say, keep the Sabbath or die? That's what it says. That that the people around you ought to keep the Sabbath, and if they don't, kill them. Why would God say that? Well, that brings us to the last statement there in in Mark chapter 2. We said the first one was... uh, that the Sabbath was made for man, it's a blessing for us. But the second statement was this, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, God was not saying that people should uh, die just because they broke a rule, what seems to us like a pretty insignificant rule. What he's saying is that that the Father ought to be your God, ought to be your Lord. And and, if, and if, if God is your Lord, then the way that will show up in your life is that he'll be the Lord of your Sabbath. Does that make sense? If God is not, this, this, is, this is back here in Exodus 31, if God is not Lord of your Sabbath, then he is not your Lord. That's why God said kill the people who didn't honor the Sabbath because obviously they weren't God followers. This was in this this God-fearing nation, the nation of Israel. Everybody followed God, or at least that was the idea. And so if you didn't follow God, you were out. And how did they know you didn't follow God? Well, Because you didn't keep the Sabbath. Now, what do we learn from that? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he says in Mark chapter 2. If Jesus is my Lord... I will demonstrate that by making him the Lord of my Sabbath. One of the ways that you hold him up as Lord is to hold him up as Lord of your Sabbath. And if you struggle holding him up as Lord of your Sabbath, then you're struggling to hold him up as Lord. See, those are connected. That's why God uses such harsh language for the Israelites. Be- not, not, not because the Sabbath was that big a deal, but because the Sabbath said something about the heart. And so Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And that ought to reverberate through our hearts. Jesus, and, and I don't I'll just tell you, this this is the toughest thing for me. I I struggle with this. I struggle with this. But I'm reminded as I study and as I prepared this message that, that Jesus is my Lord. I mean, he is my Lord. And so how should that be reflected in my life? That he's Lord of my Sabbath. And I ought to struggle with that and find ways to make him the Lord of my Sabbath because he is my Lord. He is my Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Right now, would you ask the Lord to show you how you can make it clear to yourself, to your family, and to others that joyfully, He is your Lord, and He is the Lord of your Sabbath. I mean, we'd have to, we're going to have to, some of us, make some changes. I struggle with this all the time. But I want to honor Him as Lord. I want to honor Him as Lord. Now, there may be those here today, Jesus is not your Lord. There's never been a time in your life when you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins because of His through his death on the cross, and you've not surrendered to him and made him your Lord. It starts there. It doesn't start with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the reflection of that. And so if you've never put your trust in Jesus, when we stand and sing, in a moment I'll be standing here with others, you can come and just take somebody's hand and say, today, I want to start with just trusting Jesus. And we'll help you get started. But those of us who trust Jesus... Let's reflect it in our lives because our Lord said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Father, uh, may we honor you, trust you by our Sabbath practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.